So how many of you need that uh, psalm today? Some weeks are certainly tougher than others. But there's always... Uh, he's there to always help us through it, carry us through it. It's been a... It meant a lot to me too. It's been a real tough week. Uh, work has been real busy. And having to go to the hospital, rightfully so, but go there Friday and then get up there yesterday to see Bonnie and then last night my sister was in town and nephew just for the, the evening so you go there after church I'm supposed to be in fire because Gus's dad's having his birthday and then this tonight I'm supposed to be in Jinx because my uncle's having his 80th birthday and then I gotta go back to work tomorrow <laughs> so, so I, I think I, I could have you having carried me too right but I think you know what I'm saying that that's for all of us we're all busy but you have to you know he's there to help us through it look at it. We continue just like I said remember to pray, continue to pray for Bonnie and uh, for Jerry and just for the family because I, I think it's uh, uh, it can be used uh, in many many different ways. We've been going through the uh, brief series just on passing it on if you recall the first week we talked about uh, listening carefully in Proverbs 1 you remember verse 2 to 6 it gives you six reasons for the book of Proverbs. Part of it is that we will understand and hear it apply it to our life, but then we're supposed to pass it on. But if I don't hear something correctly, how well am I going to pass it on correctly? And we use the example of the disciples when Jesus said in John that he was going to uh, be crucified. Only Mary did what she could by basically anointing him for his burial. But the other disciples listened to Judas and we're getting on to her, why are you doing this, instead of asking, what do you want me to do? And I think it's important for all of us, really, when we have to hear something correctly before we can understand it and pass it on. Last week, we looked a little bit about in verse uh, chapter 2 to 4 of Proverbs, remember wisdom in life. If you remember in chapter 2, if we will understand wisdom, it will protect us from going down the wrong paths. And it had two different in, uh, scenarios in the t- text about what it will keep us from. In uh, chapter 3, wisdom will direct your path. And for you often quote Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord in all your ways. But we're following the wisdom He's given us, and He'll direct our paths. And then in chapter 4, if you remember, we saw that wisdom will perfect your path. And in verse 18 of chapter 4, it uses the analogy of the sunrise and the sun. When you have a little bit of knowledge, it's just like the sun is just barely coming over. You don't see very well, and you can easily stumble. But as the sun continues to come up, and as you gain more wisdom, you see more clearly, and you'll walk without stumbling, because you get the wisdom that's gained. And so that's what we looked at last week. Today I like to look at communication. Do you think very much rises and falls on communication? I'll give you an example what happened to work Friday. I get a phone call from Tom, who happens to be, does the roads at the refinery, and dirt work and stuff. He calls me and says, uh, uh, where am I supposed to be bringing this dirt? <laughs> you know, we're, we're supposed to be filling holes. They're, they're drilling wells. Well, I, I, I have no, I'm not part of it. But, you know, anytime there's a well, they, immediately they think that Dan knows what's going on. So, But what it is, I did know that Equus and their drilling wells across from the gathering place trying to get do an remediation project there. So I said, well, I don't know, but let me call. I get a hold of one person, they then send me to another person, and I let go. And finally, I realized, hey, it's not on Crossing Gathering Place, it's actually on PSO's property. 
which I've been there, but it's very difficult to find it if you don't know how to get on there from the, across the river. So I give them the number. Tom, you need to call Riley. Get a hold of Riley. You need to talk to Tom. They then talked and figured out how to get there and things were happening. I could have just simply said, I don't know, and stopped. Yeah. But you get the right people talking, and they had to get it filled, because if you dig a hole, obviously on PSO's property or anybody's property, you don't want to leave the hole open because you're, it's a liability factor. you got to fill it in. And they're using hydrovac. Those of you who know what that is, you're cutting dirt with a water and the vacuum to suck it out. And the reason they do that at the refinery is there's so many pipelines, you don't know where they're at. And you go down 10 feet, you'll expose any pipeline in the area. So before you drill and hit something you shouldn't be hitting, they hydrovac. And you're on other people's property, it's the same way. We don't want to hit something, we don't know what's down there. But again, how important is the communication? But Proverbs talks a lot about communication, good communication and bad communication. And so I think what happens is we need, how many of you ever got partial truth and made a real fool out of yourself with partial truth? You hear part of a conversation? So let's look a little bit about it. But I want to think, first of all, just I'll give it to you as a caution. Uh, if you remember, let's turn there because we're going to be mostly in Proverbs. But in James, if you remember in verse 8, it says, Nobody can tame the tongue, but you can bridle the tongue because it's full of deadly poison. So I think it's important. The problem is you can't tame it, but we can uh, control it. And so I think, you know, it says the person who can control this tongue is a mature believer. So one of the quickest things you can look at our own lives is if we're not controlling our tongue, we're not where we need to be. But I think it's important Gene and I are talking, and you know, I talked with my sister last week as well. It's amazing how many times when people get our age that they don't restrain their tongue anymore. I mean, it is amazing. I don't care what people think. I'm going to let it go. And it's amazing how much damage we are causing because we're not controlling our tongue. So let's look at some uh, bad communication. But just remember, our tongue can be used both ways. So let's look at bad communication. Let's just, we'll start in Proverbs, and like I said, we'll go through some different texts. We'll start in, and what I'm going to do for the bad as well as the good, we're going to start at the first part of Proverbs and just look at some verses going. So you'll be turning from left to right. But in Proverbs chapter 6, let's look at it first. Some bad communication. Notice in verse 12 down to 14. It says, a worthless person, a wicked person, is one who walks with a false mouth, who winks with his eyes, who signals with his feet, who points with his fingers. So in other words, he has deceptive words and deceptive ways, doesn't he? He says one thing, but he means another. Does that ever happen? You know, I don't care. You look politically. I don't care which party. It's on both sides. It is happening nonstop. Just not that recently, if you remember one senator, they needed a vote and they get a vote because they promised one thing and after they get the vote and it's in writing, the people who are in charge says, we're never going to do that. Deceptive words. You tell the person what they want to hear, you get what you want, and then you go against the deceptive words. But notice it's also wink and point. It's, un it's the, uh, the nonverbal that only a few people recognize. There's a certain little signal 
they want everybody else hears it and they believe one thing. There's a little signal that's being given, and the other people know it, but they won't know. The majority won't know it until what? It's too late. It's too late, and that happens all the time. And so notice, I think one is how. What about our? Is our yes yes, and is our no no? You ever been asked a question and you know exactly what's being asked, but it's not worded just exactly right, so you can give an answer that they are taking it one way and you know they're taking it wrong, but it gets you off the hook or whatever it might be. That's one thing that happens a lot when you see people, uh, politicians that are being interviewed or doing whatever, they are using deceptive words where you and I are going to take it one way, but they're meaning it another. I'll never forget when I was in a class on statistics in graduate school and they were talking about the NFL was on strike. I'll never forget, that's when I learned about the mean and the median and all the rest of that. Now, he listened up and said, okay, this person says the average salary of the NFL player is this. And this side says it's this. And I'm thinking, how in the world can they have that much difference? Well, do you know how they do the average? If you and I were doing the averaging with a player, how would you do it? Do you realize you can take the very highest paid and the very lowest paid and you can add the two together, divide the two, that's average. Is that how we think it's average? Or you take the one in which is the most highly, the most often paid that can do that, and they can also call that the average, because that's what most of them are. Or do you take all of them together and divide by the total number? And all three are correct in how you do it, but how are you interpreting it? So both sides are claiming and have the, and then you and I as a fan are going, what in the world's going on? How can you be this far off? Somebody's lying. And so I think it's important, deceptive words, it's available to all of us. Yes is yes, no is no, and if you know somebody is not understanding you correctly, what should you do? You, know, you should stop them and correct them. You notice when you get to chapter, you go all a bit further, then go over to chapter uh, 16, I believe it is. Another one. Deceptive words, deceptive ways. Notice in chapter 16, verse 30. He who winks his eyes does so to devise perverse things. He who compresses his lips brings evil to pass. Okay? Devious plans, only a few understand. So how many of us can compress our lips? In other words, we can say something that we don't. How many times do we, and by us saying something, people think we're what? Agreeing. And today it's really uh, getting more and more so because if you stay, state what you believe, how many times do you get so much ridicule, therefore we don't say anything, and therefore people think we're in agreement. Uh, you get in conversations, and a lot of times because you don't say anything, people think you agree with them. But notice I think it's important, the bad communication, deceptive words, but then also non verbal communication. Uh, isn't that what happened with the Trojan horse? You know? One side thinks it's, they've admitted defeat and we're giving us such a nice gift, right? Obviously that wasn't the case and brought about a victory for the other side. So deceptive words, non-verbal communication. What about chapter 17 <clears throat> verse 4? Look at the condition of the heart. An evil doer listens to wicked lips 
A liar pays attention to destructive tongues. The condition of a heart reveals what as well as who we listen to. Somebody has given out some stuff. How well do we want to listen? To stuff that may not or may or not may not be true, then how often do we repeat it? It's amazing listening to what we listen to shows the condition of our heart. Why is it that people always want to hear dirt? You ever wondered about that? Why do they always want to hear something bad about somebody rather than what's good about somebody? Makes us feel better about ourselves. There you go. <laughs> Therefore, it shows the condition of our own heart, doesn't it? I think it's interesting when you look at it. Since we're doing it, so notice some bad communication. Deceptive words, non-verbal communication, how we can get it across. Uh, conditions of the heart. Look at chapter 18. Notice in verse 8. The words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels. They go down to the innermost parts of the body. So basically notice that it's the delicacy of gossip. How many of you have been out for an incredibly fine dinner? You rarely get to do it, but how many, how many can think back and even remember it this many years later? It's kind of like gossip. Oh, it's this great little delicacy. And we can retain it. And we can remember all about it. You can remember some of you have you know, had different meals that you've had 30 years ago, but you can still remember. Why is it we remember gossip so well? But then notice the problem. It's directly quoted again in chapter 26, but it adds something. Notice in chapter 26, talking about this delicacy of gossip that we have. You'll notice in uh, 22, it's the exact same quote, but go back up to verse 20. The lack of wood, the fire goes out. Where there is no whisperer, contention quiets down. So what happens then? We hear gossip. It's this delicacy. We remember it. And then we retell it. If we all heard gossip and not one of us told it, what would happen? Well, It will go out. And what happens is a lot of times that's what people do. They tell something on purpose because they know what? It spreads. And there are certain people we can feel, who you can tell and you know good and well as soon as you tell them, it's going to get spread. And if you tell them then with words that are misleading, they're going to then repeat it. And by the time it gets around, then, well, I didn't say that. This is what, wasn't what I meant. But you notice how I can start. That dainty morsel, how it goes around. Uh, I remember, uh, so notice with the gossip, you can, it's retained, and you remember it, and then there, it needs to stop. But most of the time, we retell it. We had that this week. The person been out to the refinery for 18, 19 years, whatever. I saw him on Monday. All of a sudden, Tuesday, about noon, I get there's an email that goes out to all people. So-and-so is no longer employed here at the refinery. Wishing well. Now, you think any gossip goes on now? I mean, everybody's trying to figure out what did he do and why is he gone? Because he had moved up quite a bit. Okay? I don't know. And if I don't know any facts, so I repeat something that I'm hearing. Because you can be destroying somebody's personality, somebody's character or whatever, and not know anything about it. And so I think it's interesting. I remember Grady making a statement a long time ago that he had, when somebody says something like that, to him, what he likes to do is say, well, let's go talk to, uh, let's just go to Glenn and find out if that's really true. 
When you start doing that, how many times do people come to you with gossip? <laughs> They're going to stop because, hey, I don't want to go talk to them. Uh-uh. So it's really pretty easy. Well, okay, that's interesting. Let's go find out. If we can stop a lot of it by not retelling, or let's go to the source and find out if this is really true. So I think it's interesting when you look at it. Bad communication. You have others in Proverbs. It's interesting, and you know he's full of all that. We're looking in chapter twenty-six, notice in verse twenty-three. Like an earthen vessel overlaid with silver dross, are burning lips and a wicked heart. He hastes disguising it with his lips. But he lays up deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, don't believe him. There are seven abominations in his heart. Notice the near. You ever talk to people that just have a veneer? You know, if you know anything about wood, you'll notice you'll have a lot of veneer pieces that are just a little bit of shaving of stuff on top of of, uh, pressed board or whatever, and as soon as a little bit of moisture comes on or it peels right up, a lot of people's speech is like that. Just a veneer. Or just below it is not good. A lot of people are like that. And if you want to know the abomination of seven, Proverbs 6, we won't turn there, but Proverbs 6 gives you the seven abominations that you have. But is our speech just veneer? Or do we really mean what we say? Are we really real? I think it's interesting when you look at the veneer. Chapter 29, we'll do the last one on the back, so I think we need to get to good, don't you? 29, and notice in verse 5. 29.5. Like I said, there's more in Proverbs. We're just giving you a few of them. The man who flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his steps. Notice flattery. If you've ever been in business of any kind, there's a lot of flattery that goes around. And people will say a lot of stuff. I see Brian and others going, you bet. And notice they're spreading a net. Actually, the net, they'll catch themselves in it. Remember, we used to have a saying that it goes, give somebody a long enough rope and what will they do? Hang himself. Most of the time, we don't want to wait that long. But that net can catch you, but then that net will eventually catch them. But flattery is something that we have to be very, very careful. When we say things, we have to make sure we mean it. Don't be saying something and not mean it. So I think flattery is another one. So is my speech sincere? It's what we're told to do. It has sincere speech, not fake. Because it's very obvious. So notice these are a lot of different things that we are not to do. Obviously, we're not to be deceptive words. We're not to have the uh, communication that we're signaling different things that only a few people know and the rest don't. Uh, veneer or flattery or, like I said, or gossip. But what about some good ones? So let's go back in Proverbs a little bit to the left and then start in chapter 10. Verse 1. Chapter 10, notice in verse 19. When there are many words, transgressions is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. Restraining lips. I've told you a lot. When Dad and I worked together, one particular block, we had nine houses on it. We started one end, go all the way down, take us over about half a day to do. And every week we had a lady that walked, and she had different people she walked with. And I forgot two or three years at least, she walked every week. Only twice 
in the entire time when I was there every single day, when she walked by, was she not talking? Every single time for three years. Never knew her name. I don't know what she was talking about. It doesn't matter. In fact, we just gave her the nickname. Hey, did you see Eminem or JJ today? Eminem, Motormouth, JJ, Jabberjaw. I mean, she was, I, you know, I thought, when someone is talking that much, eventually you're going to say something that you should have kept quiet about. And we're all going to be guilty of that. I don't care who we are. Some people, when they get nervous, they talk. They say a lot of things. Let me give you an example of restraining lips. Margie was younger sister here last week, visiting with her, and she said at church, they're going to a different church than they were going to Sunday school. Most of them are older and talk about people don't restrain. And she said, I'm not, I'm not going to say anything else in Sunday school anymore. She said, it's happened to me twice. She said, I just talked, said, I'm so thankful for the Lord that my salvation doesn't depend on anything that I do that He's done everything for me. And immediately people in the class started saying, well, you've got to do this. You've got to do this. You've got to do this. Well, you know, she's not arguing that there's things as a believer you do. But salvation is not by anything I do but faith. Why the person not just accept for what's being said? Because every time you get shut down, what's going to happen? So I think what happens is we are just too quick to say something. Why don't we just say, well, that's great, and move on. Notice restraining lips. What about in chapter 15? Verse 23. A man has joy in an apt answer. How delightful is a timely word. So we need to have restraining lips. We need timely words. How often is that timely word when someone is really down or discouraged or do whatever and that timely word comes through? The restraining word. For instance, uh, give you an example. Somebody is giving blood. It's happened, I used to give blood a lot. But one time when I gave blood, they messed up in my vein and my entire arm was completely black and blue. So if somebody's scared about giving blood, do I tell them about most of the time I've had or almost all the time? Or I tell them about the one with this gray gold? Okay. You know, it's true. But you restrain your lips because it's not appropriate for what's going on. But a timely word, you can do something else, can't you? You know, what they're being said, a timely word. So I think it's important a timely word can really help. And having to think through what to say in a timely word or so whatever. Go over to chapter 16, 24. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Now we have a timely word, but what about a helpful word? Often is a helpful word. Who controls your mouth? You know, we can do a timely word, a restraining our lips. We can do a, you know, a, just a, a helpful word, or we can do something that can be destructive. And what are we doing? We're the one that makes that decision. But, uh, re- Notice in uh, chapter 17 in verse 10. 
A rebuke goes deeper into one who has understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. Talking about words in it. How many of us have a receptive heart? How many of us, when we're not doing what we ought to be doing, or we think we are, but we're not, how many of us are willing to listen to what somebody else has to say? They may be giving you a timely word, a helpful word, or we can be like the fool that you can beat him and beat him and beat him and it doesn't do any good. Or are we going to listen? And so not only do you want a timely word and receptive word, but we also want a receptive heart. Anybody willing to listen? How many times has the Lord had to tell us something and we don't listen? And He's given us that timely, that, that precise word. But we need to have that receptive. Notice in chapter 24, let's look at another one. Verse 26. He kisses the lips who gives a right answer. In other words, a sincere. You don't want to be a Judas kiss. Was that a sincere kiss? You want sincere words. How many of you have ever had people tell you something and you know it wasn't sincere at all? We want sincere words. And you can see it. Uh, are you glad to see me today? Oh, yeah, I'm so glad. And you can tell by their response and their facial expressions. That's not true at all. So what we want, we want sincere words. And sometimes you're going to have to pray and ask God to help you with that. Since you mentioned Corey Ten Boom, we know the story, but what happened when she was speaking in Germany after it was over with? And the guard who caused so much trouble to her sister and helped lead to her death had come to know Christ. He says, you probably don't remember me, but I want to ask for your forgiveness. What are you going to do? She said, I prayed, and when I extended my hand, God gave me the forgiveness, but not till then. She recognized him immediately when he was in the audience. He didn't recognize her, but you would definitely recognize him. And so I think sometimes sincere word, you're going to have to ask the Lord for that sincere word because you may not have it in and of yourself. Notice in chapter 25. Verse 11. Like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in the right circumstances. With an earring of gold and ornament of fine gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. Interesting, correct words. Using correct words, but also a correct response in hearing. How well do we hear something when somebody tells us and how well do we receive it? Correct words and so on. And every one of us need it. So you think about just on the good communication, we've had restraining our lips, with a timely word, a helpful word, receptive ears, sincere words, correct words. You just put it in a sentence. Do I restrain my lips and speak timely, helpful, sincere words in the correct way and time? And the only way I'm going to do that is through prayer. Because I can be correct words, but wrong timing. Any of you ever done that in marriage? Said correct words, but the wrong timing was terrible. We have to be thinking of the correct words, the correct time, and the correct way of which you're saying it. 
So I think it's important when we look at it. We've had bad communications, we've seen, we've seen good communications. Company makes a big difference too. I'll skip it to you and we'll look at a couple other things. First Corinthians 15, 33, bad company does what? Crumps, good morals, Proverbs 22, 24, and 25. If you're around somebody who's given to anger, what you're gonna do what? You're gonna be given to anger. Psalms 1 says, Don't walk, sit, or stand with a scoffer. You will become like them. So we were talking about when you look at it, we want communication. If I am around people, I will pick it up. If you don't believe it, you know, my sister's been living up north for 40 years. She has an accent. She didn't have it when she was here. Do you think she tried to get the accent? No. She got it because of where she lives. You talk to my younger sister, she's been in Alabama for almost 40 years. She has an accent. It's just imagine, you're not trying to get it, you become like it. And so I think it's important. I've watched, I've thought of this question, and I'll give it to you, and I've seen it, because so many people with, you know, your grandkids or anything, I said, where to go to college, all the rest of this. Does college have any impact on them for the rest of their life? So what happens if they're given a scholarship to a very liberal school, but it's a free, it's free? Is it better to say no and struggle as a family. But what would most of us do? And so I'm not saying that they can't be strong there, but they can, but they better be in with people who are very strong at that school, which so often doesn't happen. They can, but they better. And again, that's going to be each situation. But I've seen it so much where people are going and the influence and it really messes them up. So think about it. How important is it, the choices that we make, they're made, everything else will so often be decided in that time. Let's look at a couple others, and we've, uh, we've quoted this many times. Choices we make. Look over in Ephesians 4 as a believer. We'll finish with two others. Choices that we make. Notice in verse 29. Ephesians 4, in verse 29. Choices to make. First one is that of restraining. Notice in verse 29, first part. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Unwholesome is the word rotten. Have you ever said a rotten word? I mean... We know it, and we know it before it comes out, and we know it when it comes out, and we know it after it comes out. And you can't say, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. We chose to do it. So we have a choice. Notice he says, don't let a rotten word come out. So we have to think before we speak. Notice the second thing, what we should be doing, only such a word as is edifying to the moment. What is going to build them up right now? Second part, according to the grace, unmerited favor. Well, that's even harder. Giving them grace, unmerited favor. Okay? What's going to help the situation and what's gracious in the moment. I think it's important for all of us because I think a lot of times 
how is it the thief on the cross, which we saw on Wednesday night, the thief on the cross, the one who turns to Christ in faith, you realize earlier he was blaspheming Christ on the cross? What caused him to go from blaspheming to remember me when you enter into paradise and you enter your kingdom? What caused it to change? Think about it. So notice we have the choice in, in edify and graciousness. Notice I think it's interesting in questioning and asking, then, how would Christ describe my company, but also how do I want my mouth to be remembered? Do people remember what people say? And do they remember something? For good or bad, your verbal and your nonverbal communication. And some of it you'll pay for the rest of your life by what you say, how you say it, or what you don't say. We think about the choices we make, and then look over, since you're in Ephesians, let's turn over to Colossians 4, we'll end with this. Some conclusions to consider. He's telling them in verse 2 to devote themselves to prayer, and then notice in verse 3. Which chapter? Uh, Colossians 4 and verse 3. Notice he says, praying at the same time for us as well. So he's telling them to pray for themselves, but to pray for Paul. And Paul is in prison. He's in prison for speaking the gospel. That God may open up a door for us that we may have the words to speak the mystery of Christ for which I've been in prison. So one, I think, conclusion is, how many of you have ever asked people to pray for you to know what to say and how to say it? You know, for me, I'm never good about visiting. For me personally, I'm not that good about visiting or, or seeing people. I don't know what to say. And I don't want to be Job's friends. Open your mouth and say the wrong thing. But by the same token, if you don't go, that's likewise. Job's friends were helping him the first week. They didn't say anything. But I think it's interesting, Paul saying, pray that I don't know what to say. But let's keep going a little bit further. Not only the preparation... Notice in verse 4, in order that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak, there is a proper way, but how of us prepare before we open our mouth? Have you ever thought about getting every morning, Lord, show me what to say and what not to say today? How many times have we ever do that? Or how many times do we say, hey guys, would you pray for me that I'll watch my mouth this week? Well, that's what he's saying, isn't it? Give me the right words. Notice a little bit further in verse 5. This again. Conduct yourself with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Any of you have all the right words after it's over with? That's usually my case. I get over it. I should have said this. In fact, there isn't a week go by that on my sermon that I don't think, well, I forgot to say this. I didn't do that. I did this. I didn't, you know, every week. So you need to pray, Lord, help me. I'll speak as I should, but I'll take advantage of an opportunity when it's there. And notice, what does he want your speech to be like? Be seasoned with grace. Oh, that unmerited thing again. Seasoned with salt. What does salt do in that day? It purifies, it penetrates, it preserves. Does my speech preserve or does it destroy? So I think it's interesting. Notice the last one. Respond how I should respond to each person. 
There is no such thing as a pat answer. Yes, Jesus Christ is always the way, but how you present Christ can be different with each individual to where they're at and their understanding of song. And where Christians are at, where they're at in their walk with the Lord. How do I respond graciously penetrating what words I have to say? So I look at it, is communication important? It can be used very negatively, verbal and nonverbal communication, and it can be used very positively. And it can be used in a lot of different things. So think about it this week, and just make it a real habit. Lord, help me to really look at my speech, verbal and nonverbal. My kids are telling me all the time, you look so mad all the time. I go, well, I'm not trying to be. So if I look mad to you, I'm sorry. I'm, you, know, you know, I guess I need to carry a mirror around all the time to look at it. 